So this is the part where we don't act like we've been talking for 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I haven't been crying. You've been crying. I haven't been crying. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Loki moved me so deeply. Oh, that's sad. Hey, can I tell you what else is sad? You replacing me with your cohort and with Kevin Hyder. <laughs> I have been thoroughly replaced with a cohort and a Kevin. I don't even know who you are anymore. I know. I don't even know who I am anymore. If I'm not Luke's, who am I? <laughs> uh, uh, you're the fifth person to ask the, the universe that. <laughs> the rest were all women from high school, women from college. <laughs> I meant college. Damn it. Sorry, Francie. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha, Luke. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, let me just say that uh, the last episode was was hilarious. How Kevin constantly rewound the conversation. Did you did you listen to the final product? I did. Yeah. He so he told me he was like so. Kevin ha- Kevin has a very unique um, cadence when you talk with him on the phone. It's interesting because it's like his cadence in real life and on the podcast, but slightly heightened. <laughs> so he calls me. He's like, "Hey, I need you to listen to the podcast before you put it out, but start around the thirty-four minute mark and just let me know if you're okay because I, I I I can make some edits, I can change it, but just let me know. But I think you'll think it's cool. That's my intent at a Kevin Hyder impression. It's probably not very good. <laughs> um, and so I, I was like, "Yeah, dude, absolutely." So I was driving home uh, from work on Monday, and I was like, "Well, I meant to put this out on Sunday, and I didn't." And then um, I played it, and I was like, this is such – this is like Kevin's genius in a nutshell because he's at once lampooning us yeah, but also celebrating us, but then also being very poetic and like not just I'm celebrating us because – like that and then also like like deeply complimenting us. Yeah. Which are three – different things that he does all at once and i don't know and 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 the fourth thing is he does it all by putting his own thing like you know kevin like is such a kevin's my opinion of like a good script of someone who can do scripted podcasts very very well yeah i mean his argument with siri alone was worth it <laughs> it's so, it so funny. funny i know and, and apparently his dad actually is a really big listener of ours so hello uh, joe Hyder. joe Producer legend joe Legend, uh, but yeah. So I just I, um, yeah. One of the many uh, many reasons why one day I would love to do some sort of project with him, with him because Kevin is wonderful and I Kevin I truly you he knows everything that was going on this past weekend and uh, I truly appreciate that he stepped up because that was very very helpful. So and I need to remember to pay him because I told him I would. He never told me a price and he, and he never said okay, but I told him that I would. So. Pay him as a co-host? No, no, no. Just for like, because he he did all the editing. Oh yeah, that's right. Like he did the that's whole right. thing. Because I quite literally like, um, I, I I'm not going to go into much detail on this, but when I hang up the phone on him, I'm really doing that. That's not an act. Like some stuff came up, not in my family, but some stuff that we needed to uh, immediately address, address pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, and uh, he. He didn't uh, call me, but I said, hey, man, this is uh, – I think this is going to take up the bulk of my night. Um, I'll try to get in, get in touch with you tomorrow, and we can complete this, and I'll just put it all together. And 
he ended up getting a hold of me during the morning on Saturday or something. He was like, hey, can I just edit it? And I was like, yes, <laughs> please, please. I thought it would be great if you did, but I didn't want to actually be rude and ask you. And I thought we were going to maybe try to record again, but I was like, oh, my gosh. I, I, I mean, I had no time to do that. I quite literally had no time. And the fact that he put that together in the way that he did it, I am forever indebted to him. That was insanely kind and very, very moving. So thank you again. If you guys have not checked out Kevin's Hyder's podcast, uh, it's called the um, Song and Story Podcast. I encourage you to do so. Or the story, I forget. Is it story and song? or um, I think it's story and song because that actually sounds better off, off when you say it off the lips. But uh, <laughs> have you heard Kevin's, like, have you heard his uh, Have you heard his other music besides the Ohio album I talk about nonstop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin's like legit. Good. He is. He is who I think of when I think of singer songwriter. <laughs> you know, like he that is yeah. him. I love yeah. his stuff. Yeah, his. Um, I I almost thought when he had that new that new intro song, I thought you know if I was a good friend, I'd say Kevin, can we pay you t- to use the song? But I feel like we have such brain recognition with the the, the dun, 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 you know thing, that, and it doesn't blend uh, well he, with the Notre Dame fight song. It's complicated. Yeah, it's true. But it's a fun little like it's a fun and he can just do all that. It's the, the thing about Kevin that I really like. And then um, I'll stop. Is so me and Kevin are kind of like a little bit of the opposite, not opposite exactly with how we approach songs. But Kevin really pays attention to what the what the song is about, the story that's being told, and all that stuff, as well as the music and 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 how that fits. But he really like. He really seems to almost zone in on that while also doing a great job with all of the music where I tend to focus more on the music and the lyrics. They aren't a secondary per se, but I don't really care as much as to what they are, or what they mean, because I might think they mean something different and I'm kind of OK with that. Kevin seems to be more like very specific with what I, I could be wrong, but. I, I like his approach. It's, it's made me appreciate and want to listen more to the artist's intent with what they are singing. So, Gilmer, can I tell you about a new norm? Oh, I love Norm Peterson. And if you have a new norm, <laughs> I, I want to hear about it. <laughs> well, actually, I, th- I, I, I call this new norm online dating. Online dating is now equal or in some cases a more prominent way the couple of all ages and backgrounds are now meeting. Like, let's say my background is Roman Catholic. Are you saying there's a dating website for me? Oh my gosh! I'm saying there is, there actually is a relationship. There is a relationship. There is a website where you can start a relationship knowing you share the same Roman Catholic or Byzantine faith. It's the largest <laughs> Catholic dating app specifically for single Catholics. And can you just take a guess as to how it's unlike other websites? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure this website, if it's truly Catholic, is not going to encourage quink casual relationships and that they're actually going to help singles connect for the purpose of sacramental marriage let's be honest i also have a hunch that they provide a community where catholics can share their can share their challenges of living life in a almost single state and make new friends there are multiple young adults in my church who are on the struggle bus with being Mm -hmm. single and in their early 30s or late Mm -hmm. 30s and all their friends are married and none of them are Catholic. And they're like, I feel like if I just compromise. So it is awesome to have a community where Catholics can share those challenges of living single. And it actually is 
I, it is hard to try to meet new um, Catholic um, people because it, there's this thing that does tend to happen where you start to like um, make the rounds and you go, oh, oh, I've really like run out of people here that I that I could possibly date. And I think what I really like about um, Catholic matches, it, it really allows you to connect with people from all over the world. The people that like, you know, like I met on there. I don't think there was one that was actually in the state, in the state that I was in. And it was really nice to know that in these like small towns where I was, where I was I'm living at the point in time, I had the opportunity to, to connect with other um, single Catholics. So head on over to Catholic match. You can start to create your own Catholic love story. They get new stories every week from Catholic couples who met on Catholic match. By the way, story friend who Lost his wife. He was a widower. He met his now wife on Catholic Match. He was on there for about, I think he said, four hours, five hours, and that's where he met her. Catholic Match is making it easier than ever for Catholic singles to connect. Use their app or website to start connecting with other singles through the messaging or video chat. Oh, and they have video chat now. How sweet is that? Oh, that's nice. Uh And it's super easy. Put on pants, Luke. Just Go kidding. make a free profile. <laughs> I refuse. Uh, it's super easy to get started with Catholic Match. You can you can create a free profile in just minutes over at CatholicMatch.com and start meeting other um, single Catholics now. Go over to um, CatholicMatch.com, and if you have the balls to like do it, to, uh, put in Catching Foxes made, made me do it, and you will find true love over at CatholicMatch.com. Yeah, people from all over the world, like Australia, Catholic Match. Thank you, Catholic Match, for supporting this episode of Catching Foxes. Hey, we did it. Kevin's way is how I enjoy music. Like, I have to Mm -hmm. understand the words first, because to me, music is poetry. First and foremost, it's about the lyric, not the music. Not the melody. And so... Ooh, see, I'm the exact opposite. Right. And I remember getting in an argument with my brother. I was like, man, for me, it's the lyrics that matter the most. I was in high school. And he goes, it's not freaking poetry, you idiot. It starts with the music. It's the music that matters, not the words. You could say gibberish, and it'd be awesome. Hence Bush's song Machine Head, which is mm. almost gibberish, so but everyone can sing it and <laughs> love it and do all that stuff. But for- Get real emotional, especially if I hear it while I'm drinking. So. Right, but the... It's not what the song says that makes it emotional. It's the probably the nostalgic context in which we all loved and listened to the song. And it's it's funny the way that it does that. I mean, me and you, we talk about music all the time. Me as a non-musical guy and you as a music-obsessed guy who help run a label. Um, but I... I've always had this weird experience with music where I can listen to the crappiest pop song and, you know, poorly written, all the stuff that I just said about the lyrics being crap and still like vibe with the music. Like I can like it, but the songs I become obsessed with something in the lyrics have to, or not even obsessed with songs that I I strongly like have to have solid lyrics that I can somehow embrace, you know, like, or, or understand or see like, um, that song "Call Me Al" by Paul Simon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's that song is uh, actually quite depressing when you listen to the lyrics. And he, he has this line. He says, and I, I think I've shared this on the show the show before. But he, I remember one day I was listening to it, and I love it for the the what trumpets or horns or whatever wind instrument. And and we all think of him with Chevy Chase. Yeah, from the know, yeah from yeah. the music video, but that I like I love it. The song is so like fun and the amazing bass guitar and all that stuff. But he has this line 
where he says, why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I so soft in the middle now when the rest of my life is so hard? And I remember one day I was driving to work and I just played it and I really don't listen to music all that often. So I played it and, uh, and I heard that lyric and I was like, yeah, what the hell? What the hell, man? Everything is so hard. And yet here I am a Pillsbury Doughboy. What is going on? And it was just funny, like that resonated with me. So I have fallen in love with that song because of the lyrics, not because of the music, though I love the music. Right. And what I think is really cool about Kevin Hyder's album music, I heard the guitarist of Five Iron Frenzy talk about this when, uh, well, he's the bass player now, but he was the original guitarist of the band talking about their song every, every new day in a um, document, in a um, documentary that, that, um, that Reese Roper, um, had made about the band 10 years ago. And he says, every new day is one of those rare songs where you can tell that the lyrics and, and, the and the music not only are they a perfect fit but they're expressing the same thing and they're doing it at the same time over each other and it fits and i feel i think when i hear kevin's stuff and i know how much he slaves like over it it all actually he's one of those artists that it all fits yeah i think me without you is like that too yeah like it's hard. I mean, it's it can feel like a lot of gibberish. But when I saw them live, I think I brought this up before. Uh, we are we are definitely three hundred episodes. Thinking like I know I've talked about about this before, but um, <laughs> I saw they finally like, oh, you guys really do have a sound, and I see how you're weaving all this yeah. through that yeah. sound, and then you kind of see how the lyrics fit the sound, and the sounds like fits the lyrics, and it's almost hard to imagine one without the other. Okay, Luke. Okay, I have to intervene here. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say this story. I didn't want to tell it, but I feel like I have to. And I just feel like such a piece of crap if I don't tell you. So the other day, I'm picking up my kids and we're driving. And they stayed at our friend's, Miss Michelle's house. And Michelle was teaching our kids about poetry and about rap. Now, I'm not going to say that Miss Michelle knows a lot about rap. Because she doesn't. And she, but she did a little, she made up a little rhyme scheme for the kids. And they were like, see, daddy, that's rap. So I'm driving and I'm just squeezing the old steering wheel. That's not rap, kids. That's crap. And I said, <laughs> so I'm going through all the music immediately, instantaneously in my head. How can I introduce my soft suburban children? I know what you did. To the streets. To the, to, the, to the heartbeat of rap. I said, I need to have a song that has no cuss words. Changes by Tupac, maybe. You know, I'm like thinking, what can I do? Then I start thinking old rap, you know, mid-90s rap. But it, it gets dark real quick. I can't have sexual lyrics in it. Can't have any of that stuff. So, Luke, where do you think I went with this? You went with Toby Mac. No, I did not. How dare you? You sick son of a bitch. You (laughs) sick son of a bitch. I would never do that to my kids. That's tantamount to child abuse. Instead, I played them the radio edit version of Lose Yourself by Eminem. And I paused. (laughs) I paused. I was going to bring up Eminem tonight. I paused and walked them through the lyrics after they gave it the first (laughs) listen. And I was like, and that's like, I was like, look, kids, we're stuck in traffic. It should have been a 15 minute drive to grandma's. It's taken us 45 minutes. We're going to go through this line by line. Spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti. Like I go through the whole song with my kids 
It is now Cecilia's favorite song. So then afterwards I say, okay, I need another rap song that to show them the, the width of the genre. I said, okay, so this is a white rapper named Eminem who comes from Detroit and they made a movie biopic weird thing called eight mile that this al- this song was sung on. I said, well, you're never going to see that movie. Don't worry. I said, now here's another version of hip hop that takes like R and B and acapella type stuff and then smushes rap music onto it. And it can't have cuss words and can't talk about sex. Luke, what do you think that second song is? R&B type stuff with just straight up gangster rap, but no cussing and not no lyrics about drugs and sex. I, I, I mean, I have no idea. This is the weirdest Venn diagram. <laughs> Bone Thugs and Harmony, The Crossroads. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, okay, that's fair. That's so fair. I'm, I'm racking my brain, like, what could possibly, could I give them to experience this? So then I play the whole song of The Crossroads for them. And I said, you know, this was on the charts for, like, 20 weeks in a row at Billboard number one or number two. Like, this was the song. And they're like, what's a Billboard? Like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I know, it was rough. It was rough. But I was like. People loved this song. Everyone loved this song. It was intense. This group, me and my brother loved them. It was one of those few albums that we both would listen to, East 1999, Eternal. Think about back in the day. Anywho, so we had that, played the crossroads. You, It was inspired somewhat by you because you came down, and we did that live event for uh, Lumen Vitae. Uh, so great. Yeah, so good. So Such great. great people. But so good. We did the live event. Good-looking crowd. Oh, my God. Oh my gosh. Good gosh. <laughs> I'm not saying that you other crowds ne- um need to step up your game, but my gosh. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> the Ciro Malabar Church is doing something right. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> if I was a, if I was single, I'd be going there every weekend. <laughs> Good lord. If I were a young adult who also had physical handsomeness, then I too would go. But I don't want to skew the average below the sevens <laughs> because everyone else is above the sevens. The whole group. You, you, like, <laughs> the whole group. You know, at some point in time, I think, I can't remember. Did, I, did, I think we told Shannon when we got back, we were like, yeah. we've never had that many good looking girls trying to talk to us after a podcast. No, no, no. In our lives. <laughs> In our lives. <laughs> like, Hi, I'm 39 years old and have a podcast about Christ. And these are the most beautiful men and women that have ever I been know, around seriously. me. Like, they made the man bun look good. I was like, good job, everyone. Yeah, good good well job. Done. Well done. Every one of them. Every one of them. Male and female could have been a model. Anywho. Just... <laughs> going there, me and you had a delicious burger. We had a delicious burger. Oh my gosh, so good! Thunder Burger was that so what it was good. called? But then we I listened. So, yeah. But then we listened to a little Bone Thugs and Harmony on the on the long hour drive down there, and it was in my head. So I was like, okay. So song number two, Luke. So song number one, Lose Yourself Radio Edit. Song number two, Bone Thugs and Harmony, The Crossroads. Okay, let me describe to you song number three. I'm trying to illustrate the diversity within the genre called hip hop. Okay? okay. So I want to take them a little bit more old school going back to the slam poetry type roots while delivering a solid message that taps into the wider zeitgeist of today. So I'm looking Propaganda. for something. You nailed it. What song? Uh, 
was it the Puritans yes, one? Yes, Precious Puritans. Yes. So yes. I had. I, we, they need to learn about Michelangelo's boyfriend. I, I literally turned that <laughs> off right there. That wasn't, you know, Jesus don't look like them pictures, right? That was just Michelangelo's, Michelangelo's boyfriend. boyfriend. Like, when I first up. heard that, I was like, <laughs> you hate, why do you hate that part? I hate that part. So, Because Michelangelo was a true reformer and was very devout. And to hear some flippant anti-Catholic oh, that's true. just that's throw true. that true. crap out. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it just, and and it, it, it demonstrates propaganda's profound ignorance of Renaissance artwork where grace and the feminine were often combined. Look at all the pictures no, of John that, the Beloved. That's disciple. a good point. But anyway, yeah, I, I think my no, really, really, really quick on that. My my whole thing was just kind of like, I just don't care. But I, I do. I see. I know what you mean by uh, I think that's actually a good point and I, that I should probably care about that more because I do think there's this thing where we as American Christians especially cannot see the world through any other lens but our own. Yeah. And so there's this thing of like, well, it can't be what you just talked about because my only context of knowing things like this is if he were to be homosexual. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so and let's just be yeah. honest. It's horribly dismissive of homosexuals too. Like, oh yeah, that, you know, yeah, Jesus doesn't true. look like that. That's just Michelangelo's boyfriend. Oh yeah. F you. If you European Renaissance painters, it's like, yeah, who cares? That's all they knew. Okay, that's what I mean. Yeah, grew yeah, up. yeah. Good lord. Yeah, good lord. I also just like it when, like, um, when um, Christians do like shock stuff. I'm like, yes, be like, like shock me, shock others. Yeah, no kidding, no <laughs> kidding. Like when, uh, okay, anywho, so I played them those three songs. So you got the spoken word, you got the R and B style, and then you have that's actually a great idea, right? And so we talked about the forms of hip hop and the different ways rap can manifest itself. Obviously, this is a stupid sampling, but I'm not going to let it get perverted. I'm not going to, you know, and I can't. Yeah. So anywho, so that that was my limitation while in traffic going to my my mom's house. And uh, I felt like I did a good enough job, but I have created a beast because they want to listen to Lose Yourself all the time. (laughs) All the time. They don't give a crap about propaganda. They kind of like Bone Thugs. My son, Noah, he likes Bone Thugs. But I'm like, no, no, no. This is the only song you're allowed to listen to. What, am I going li- to let you listen to Mo Murder? Am I going to let you listen to <laughs> No Shorts, No Losses, which is all about you better not short my drugs or not give me all my money? Like, no, no. What we're g- Maybe first of the month, cash your check and come on. Maybe that. Well, oh, that's such a fun song. That's a great pick up, song. Pick up. It's the first of the month. So, so, so that was my Fourier. 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 I don't. That word sounds stupid to me. That was my attempt to introduce my kids into hip hop music. So uh, that was fun. The Matrix has ended. It's a new BetterHelp read from your friend Luke. Uh, so you guys have heard us talk about I'm a BetterHelp before at length, and we're going to talk about Better. That's H E L P again. Listen, BetterHelp can help you get hooked up with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start um, communicating with one in less than like 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self help. It is professional online counseling done uh, securely online. You, you've heard it talked about on our show. You've heard it talked about like a whole bunch of podcasts look guys god wants you to find from a healing god and wants you to be the person he created he create you to be and if you're over the age of 25 and you haven't been to counseling now is the time better help is committed to um facilitating great therapeutic um, matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed it is more of affordable than 
traditional offline counseling, and this is cool, financial aid is available. So um, BetterHelp wants you to start um, living a um, happier life today. Go to their website, read all, all of the testimonies that are on there, posted daily. And guess what, guys? Guess what? Go to betterhelp.com slash foxes. That's betterhelp.com slash foxes. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been, have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in, in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash foxes. So if you go to better H-E-L-P, you will get 10% off your first month. That is fantastic. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring yet another episode of everyone's favorite podcast, Catching Foxes. Uh, but there's always, there's also this like with Eminem, there's such a, I've been, I've been kind of getting back into music, but I've been paying more attention to uh, what you see this a lot. Is this because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about, about movies actually and they talk about like hey what do these actors kind of do like what does like what does tom cruise bring to a film tom cruise breeze he brings intense running and that deep stare where you know he's just all in (laughs) any character he plays is all in. favorite tom cruise character of all time go uh oh gosh this is actually kind of hard for me um i think maybe his character in the last uh, samurai i really like that movie Mine would be his character in uh, uh, A Few Good Men. Yeah, that's, because that, that's, that, that movie, that that movie is classic. like a Gormley yeah. family movie. We literally watch that like four times a year. So every year of my life growing up, I had all the lines memorized. Me, my mom, my dad, my brother, like we loved it. I drank a, I drank a lot of Yoo-Hoo when I was in my early, like yeah. my mid-teens because of that yeah. movie. A lot of Yoo-Hoo. Then I've heard that one weird rumor about it. Never went back. What weird rumor? Uh, I don't want to say it on the podcast because it was super gross. Oh, God. God help us all. Middle school yep. and high school rumors. Most of mine were about Marilyn Manson. All of them were <laughs> incredibly about stupid. To say that. And the poor guy from, it's, um, <laughs> what's it called? Paul from uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Or not It's a Wonderful well, yeah, Life. The Wonder Years. Years. Yeah, there were two weird rumors about Marilyn Manson that we all somehow decided to believe. <laughs> For decades, for decades, isn't it weird? I like yes. think about how like we are we are a country the size of a of many continents, <laughs> and we all had a rumor about a man that everyone within like a three year period believed before the internet. Like, <laughs> I know that's what's weird about it. I guess maybe if you watch MTV as a middle schooler, you're going to be attached to that type of stuff, but. But do you remember hearing that rumor on MTV, though? No, 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 no. I just mean, like, it associates you with... Ooh, I just hiccuped. Did it hope <laughs> it associates you with that type, like, you're in that kind of world. Should we explain what the rumor was so people don't have to Google it? Or should we just say, don't Google it, just understand that it was a thing? <laughs> I think you should explain it. <laughs> I know, I don't want to, because Sister Miriam listens sometimes, and I can't do that. Dear Sister Miriam. This is the part where you hit skip, skip, skip. Okay, Sister Miriam, I'm begging you, skip ahead. No, we can't do it. I can't. I can't. I can't. Well, is this the rumor that he got ribs removed so that he could give himself yes, oral yes, sex? Yes, 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 yes. It's that one. It's that one. You may now resume your safe listening. Be well. 
<laughs> what if we had a little, we, we should do a thing from here on out where it's like, dear sister Miriam, <laughs> please pause until this point in time. And you put it in there. It I clean. smell a new segment. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Oh, oh, uh, can, do you have anything else about um, hip hop? No, that's or? it. I'm done. Oh, sorry. Wait, wait. Here, here, so, you know, okay, certain actors are good at doing, doing um, certain things. You like have like a Nicolas Cage who, when he's actually at his best, can play kind of unhinged um, people who are kind of in and out of being insane very, very well. Uh, Bill Bill Murray doing the like you know weird but confident dude all that stuff. Um, I feel like you hear that with certain with certain like artists as well. And I think what what makes Eminem so appealing besides his insane, he was able to do like ten syllables or like a, almost a second. Oh, really? Like he can say ten? Yeah. When you see him going super fast, it's like. I think yeah, I think Eminem has to be one of he's a very like what makes Eminem really good is he's a very technical rapper. I I mean I know very, very little about this. He's just But please, Luke, you a, have a podcast. Don't let that stop you. So exactly. He's like just how fast and how he can make things rhyme that quickly, I'm like, that is really like just it's it's like He's a professional in every sense of the word when it comes to hip hop about that mm-hmm. stuff. And um, and there's this sort of quiet desperation with a lot of his rapping that I think is what makes it so appealing. So you have this weird emotion that's always there with his stuff, which is that quiet desperation with this insane technical ability. I definitely think someone like Jay-Z, Kanye are kind of at a, just like a whole other level. And I'm trying to get some good independent. Who's that good? There's like independent um, rapper that I like buck something. It was just so, so good. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and there are just, there are other people who I think have more interesting styles and have more interesting things to say. But there's something about Eminem that just kind of, uh, at times it's like, oh, that, when, when he works, it's, it's very, very, very good. So, um, I had something else and I forgot it. Classic catching foxes. Mm-hmm. So, things have been horrible. How are you? You ready for my shit show, Luke? Yep. Is the audience ready for my shit show, Luke? Always. Oh, Luke. No, but are you are you generally in a place where you feel like you can talk about this? Uh, I don't think. I mean, I'm only in a place, or I'm only going to talk about the stuff I'm in a place to talk about. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, All right. Papa Gomer will edit on the fly. So, Holy Week 2021, we have a miscarriage. Horrible. We suffer through for two or three weeks in this horrible stuff of the baby not passing. There's no progression that the baby will pass naturally, so we have to have this horrible surgery. I waited Mm -hmm. about three or four weeks, and then we had a show about it, and our fans were insanely incredible. And um, just people writing, people wrote handwritten notes and typed out notes. And some people uh, who know my address, who are fans of the show and also friends IRL, sent me flowers, My well, sent my wife flowers and all this stuff. Um, incredible, beautiful out show, outpouring of support. Um, and I'm, I'm blessed to have a podcast where people can hear the story and show that kind of love. Then we get pregnant a month later, um, not trying, not trying to do anything fancy here. 
and not even showing signs of fertility, really. And we get pregnant. And so Hope was the first, and then we miscarried Benedict. Um, that's the name my wife chose, and I love that name. Um, and that was less hard because the day we found out, it was like two days later that we knew that the baby was non-viable. And then mm-hmm. Shannon passed the baby. You know, we get the blood test every other day for like two weeks, and you see the levels dropping, and then they get to zero. And, you know, at some point we passed the baby, and we lost him. And it hurt but it was like, okay, number one, this came right on the heels of hope. Number two, there was no dreaded surgery. There was none of that. It's just, okay, we're sorry. We figure this stuff out. Or we're, we're sad. We're, we figure this stuff out. We move on. We pray. This was horrible. And then my wife gets pregnant again. Unbeknownst to us, for six weeks, uh, then she starts feeling, you know, or for five weeks, she starts feeling a little iffy in week five. So she takes another pregnancy test and it comes back positive. So she goes to the store and buys like the most expensive pregnancy test that you can. Positive, positive calls our doctor. And she says the advice that kind of changed the world. She said, you know, you're going off to vacation. You're going to do all this stuff. I want you to take blood tests while you're there, too. But then I want you to come in and get a C-section or get a C-section, get a um, sonogram so we can really look at this baby and make sure everything's healthy and moving as it should. So we go to St. Louis. Shannon's taking the test. And lo and behold, for the first time in these like four or five, well, yeah, four months, the levels, you know, the HCG levels or whatever they're called, they triple. And then the next test, they quadruple. They're doubling. They're tripling. They're doing all – they're in the thousands. We never broke 300 or 400 with the other babies. And for those of you who don't know, these things should be like – these numbers should be doubling every other day or something like that. And they ramp up to the thousands really quickly. And all of a sudden, we're getting like 1,400 and we're like on cloud nine. My doctor says, okay, exercise caution here because while that is high, it's not exactly doubling. There might be an issue. We're going to keep going with that sonogram, but things are looking good. We get another blood test before we leave. And again, it's higher. It's not doubled, but it's higher. And we're like, hell yeah, signs of progress. So last week, so tonight we're recording this. It's Thursday, August 5th. Last Wednesday, I... I'm like, Shannon, I'm there with you. I'm taking off of work. We drive down. And Shannon is trying not to get hopeful because she doesn't want to be disappointed that there's going to be um, a miscarriage. So she's like, I know this is not going to work out. I'm still hopeful, but it's not going to work out, and I just have to accept that. And I'm scared to hope, right? She's scared to hope. I get that. So we go in for a sonogram. Everyone's so nice and sweet, and I'm there, and it's an internal sonogram, which is horribly uncomfortable. But uh, the they show the baby. The baby comes up on the screen, and there is her beautiful little heart beating. And we are crying. We are so happy that for the first time in two pre- – I mean, we've been trying for five years to get pregnant. And then, boom, here we go. Baby after baby, miscarriage after miscarriage. Now we have a heartbeat. The baby's alive. The baby's the size it should be. So we walk out of there. We didn't get a congratulations from the sonogram person. Then as we're walking towards the exam room to wait to talk to our doctor about the results, 
the doctor's working at like a workstation in the hallway, and she's what I'm assuming is going over our our ultrasound. The nurses like look up at Shannon and quickly look away because I'm walking behind Shannon. I'm like, usually this is a happy place. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. So we sit down. About two minutes later, the doctor comes in and just goes, well, we have a major issue here. We're like, what? I mean, we're literally like giggling. We are so happy. And she said, the baby is healthy. The baby's a little small, but healthy. But the real problem is it's in the wrong place. Your baby has implanted. The yolk sac is attached inside the scar tissue of your uterus from your previous four C-sections. My wife is a beast. She's awesome. We have had four C-sections, not because we wanted to, but because we had to. And it, the scar tissue was bigger than we thought. And sure enough, the egg, and she's describing it, and I'm like, okay. And she said, no, no, you, you don't understand. The baby is in Essentially, is the yolk is fully attached to the scar tissue, which means the placenta will grow into and rupture the scar tissue. Which means because the uterus is where all the blood flow happens for, to keep the baby alive, you have minutes before you bleed internally and die. So if you feel a stabbing pain, you have to go to the emergency room and be calling them on the way saying... Get ready to cut me open. I'm hemorrhaging internally. And I'm like, wait, what? And she goes, this is an ectopic pregnancy, but in the uterus, which is really weird. But we call it ectopic because it can, it's, the placenta will immediately rupture and grow out of. Now, there are some women who have pregnancies like this where the way everything is set up, the scar tissue can actually deal with the placenta. So she said, I want you to have a second opinion. It's hard to hear this, but I want you to have a second opinion. So we drive home practically in silence. What the hell do you say? What the hell do you say when this is baby number three who is healthy? We saw a heartbeat, Luke. The baby is alive. We saw a heartbeat. So the next morning, I take off. It's Thursday morning. We go down to a, the med center, fancy place, high-rise med building, you know, all the degrees on the wall. This is a doctor who specializes in high risk, and he has a sonogram dude that specializes in complicated early issues in pregnancy. So we walk in, and sure enough, yeah, it's the fancy machine, right? We're going in for our second opinion, and he's talking to us. And he's like, there's a baby. And I, okay, that's just like yesterday. There's the heartbeat. And then he's doing some measurements, and he said, okay, okay. And he's like, let me call the doctor. And just then my heart sank. Because the sonogram guy would be like, looks good. So he brings the doctor. Yeah. The doctor sits down and says, your baby, and this is going to sound awful, is a ticking time bomb within your womb. You will die if you do not take care of this. This is not a joke. I am not exaggerating. Your baby is mere millimeters from rupturing. He said, we measure your uterine wall or your uterus, your uterine tissue in centimeters. Your uterine tissue is millimeters and it's all scar tissue and scar tissue don't stretch like uterine tissue. And so we're just sitting there like, what do you mean? And he goes, you live in the woodlands, right? And we're like, yeah. And he said, I would, he's like, I already booked you the operating room at your hospital. 
Your doctor is waiting for you there because I don't think that you could survive driving home. He's like, Mike, if this ruptures while you're driving her and you're nowhere near a hospital, you have two or three minutes. Oh, my God. So we, we're just like, what do you mean? And he goes, this is what you do. We, we make an incision. We remove it. And we sew you back up. And we can probably save the uterus. And so I'm like, you know, I mean, you know, the doctor leaves and, you know, I asked him a handful of questions. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, it could be, the, it, it, you could drive home and it could be fine. He said, but past the eight week mark, that baby will be so large you're, and, and the placenta will be forming that it, he's like, it's going to rupture. It's not if, it's when. And it's within a week and a half to two weeks, max. So, and he said, but it could be any day. So we drive to our hospital, and I immediately call Father David Huss. And I'm like, Father David, Father David, this sounds like they want us to abort our child. You know, just the day before, I was listening to, um, I was listening to a podcast. It was, uh, oh gosh, what's a comedian, Andrew Schultz. And he was interviewed, it was like a clip of him interviewing Jordan Peterson, like, last week. And he was like, why, why do you think suffering is so important? He said, everyone talks about values, but suffering shows you whether or not your values are actually real. And that quote came, like, screaming back into my head as I'm like, I now, I mean, I understand why terrified husbands who would never choose to get, quote-unquote, an abortion would be so tempted to because it's like, well, my wife will die and the mother of my children will die or, or this child that is, you know, you know, two centimeters across and doesn't have conscious thought will die. So I'm driving with father David on the, on speakerphone talking to me and Shannon and I'm like, I'm sobbing and Shannon's sobbing. And I'm like, what, what the hell do I do? You know, and I kind of know the answer, you know, the theologically correct answer. But, Luke, I can tell yeah. you, with all the theology, it doesn't feel good at all. And um, so we get, to the, we get to the OR, the emergency room. They bring us back to, a, you know, another waiting room. At least we're in the hospital. Shannon's prepped for surgery, and we're just on the waiting game. And so I go out and I have my brother. Thank God it was his day off. We give him keys. He goes up and frees our dog from its kennel because now... It's, it's now four, five, six hours for something that we thought would be a 30-minute thing downtown, and we'd be back home before lunch. Yeah. And so uh, Father David called a buddy of his who's a, a parochial vicar at a church nearby and also somewhat of a moral theologian, and this is kind of one of the areas that he specializes in. So Father David said, out of debt to me, will you just drop everything and go and see them and give her anointing and give her Holy Communion and talk to them? So it couldn't have been better. Doctor, Our doctor walked in the room, and she's a devout Catholic. We're in a Catholic hospital, and in walks this priest, and we all have a very frank discussion about what's going to happen. And, you know, what's going to happen is the doctor is going to surgically remove a large section of my wife's scar tissue and uterus and a baby who is alive along with it. For the first time in five years, now six, excuse me, Thomas, my son turned six two days later. So this was last Thursday. He turned six on Saturday. 
you know, you know, we walk through the the principles of a double effect. And, you know, we're not choosing the evil of abortion. We are choosing life. If we could surgically implant that baby anywhere else in the uterus, we would do it in a heartbeat. We're not removing the baby. We're removing the scar tissue. Unfortunately, the baby is attached to it. If we could do anything else, we would. And it's proportional. And when he said this, he said, it's the life of the baby will be lost through an unintended side effect but it will save the life of the mother. And Shannon just hears those words and she said, why do I feel like I'm choosing between my life and my child's? And the, the, the level of emotions that we went through, I thought with hope we were on a roller coaster with like, Hey, your levels are up. Now they're down. Now they're up. They were down. They were like up 300, down to 200, and then up to like 250. This kid, I saw his heart beat. And then I didn't. And all I had left of, you know, my child is four scars and a successful surgery for my wife, a laparoscopic surgery, um, being told, you know, well, news that I'm not going to repeat, but just the surgery went well. The surgery went well. There was minimal loss of blood. They were terrified. Shannon would bleed out and they'd have to do something radical. And so you start thinking about all this stuff and you're like, how awful like, here we are trying to live a generous, open to life, come what may, Catholic roulette, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And it's like just the hammer falls so often. And then as we were wrapping up, the doctor said to me, you know, this is a weird way of looking at it. And I don't know if it brings you comfort or peace, but your wife is alive today. Because of hope and Benedict. I said, what did you mean? She said, without those two previous miscarriages, I never would have ordered an ultrasound at five or six weeks. And she said, yeah. And she said, when I opened your wife up, her bladder was pushing against the scar, which contained it, which prevented it from rupturing. And she's like, Mike, you guys have no idea how lucky you are. And I'm like, this, if this is what luck feels like, shit. <clears throat> then I don't want it, you know? So, uh, you know, you got this hanging over you. You don't want to come home. You don't want to return to normal. You don't know how to look at your own kids. You don't know what to say to your wife. The The drive home was almost dead silent. And after a while, I'm just like, I'm sorry, honey. I, I don't even have words. She's like, I don't either. I don't expect you to say anything. I don't have anything. And I'm like, God, how did this happen? How does this keep happening? And, so, you know, and this, it, it, I know this is, this is just how my stupid brain works. But it's almost like God is like, 
let's see how many ways we can make this. Oh, okay, here's a miscarriage that won't leave your body. Here's a miscarriage that you'll barely even notice. Well, here's a baby that's implanted in entirely the wrong spot. And I just feel like it's this, it's this crazy crapshoot uh, of life. And it's like, okay, I'm trying to be open. I'm trying to be generous. I'm trying to do all the right things. And God, I know that saying that makes it sound like you owe me. You don't owe me, God. Every child that I have is an insane gift of generosity because we were told when we first got married we would never be able to have kids. And we have four awesome kids. Mostly awesome kids. But that was a joke. Um, I, know, so I, I was going to say, I'm going to know it's a bit nuts, but I won't. You mean Thomas. You mean Thomas. Nah, yeah. I, I can't tell them apart. So. <laughs> all white kids I'm look like, alike. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. All my kids do look like. Um, oh, not Cecilia. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. your boy. Your boy. Uh, I apologize. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's just one of those. We're watching field, field videos. Yeah. It's just one of those things where. I don't even know, like, with hope and all of the stuff that happened, I felt like I had my heart ripped from my chest, you know? And to find that that there's something much worse out there and that it was just waiting for us a couple, couple months later, like, it is, you know, it's like I, I'm just... I'm just speechless, man. Actually, I'm not speechless. I talked for 20 minutes about it, but... I don't know how to deal right now. I don't want people. I, there are certain people that I don't mind the, hey, how are you? How's it going, man? You hanging in there? Like, I don't mind that conversation with certain people. One of my coworkers came into my office, and she's like, I need to check on you. I'm like, okay, I like you. You can check on me. But then there are some people that feel like they have to do it mandatory. You know, it's like, it's well, I have to check in with Gomer. Let's. Well, I, I mean. I've done it a couple times on this podcast where I've brought up stuff and I've said, and I've said, don't message me about this. <laughs> like, like, don't like, yeah. like I, you, I don't want to talk about this besides right here and right now. So please don't. And I don't think there's any, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And what? Like people don't have a right. I'm not, I'm still, it sounds like I'm like crapping on no, a fan, and I'm not, or just, I'm just mean people in general don't have a right to tear open things in your heart that like you said, Hey, well, they don't in general, but then just to be able like, I don't think there's a problem with like your coworkers or your friends or whoever being like, hey, this is kind of a boundary. Like, please don't cross this. Yeah. So it was funny. My wife is like, okay, I'm going to come over. So my son Thomas had a birthday party on Saturday or uh, on Sunday at my parents' house. And we had friends over on Saturday for that were like neighborhood kiddos. Um, just a couple people came over with their kids that that we have over all the time and um they had a water balloon flight fight for an hour and my wife just sat in a chair but all the women came over and they sat down all the women and joey muckenthaler <laughs> i love joey but it just you sit down and you talk it through and you get to have one conversation and cover you know three or four people and then you're like okay i'm done talking about it let's watch the kids and let's have some fun and let's you know, but Shannon couldn't move. Yeah. She couldn't walk. You know, she could walk a few <sighs> steps. You know, she was fully under general anesthesia, all that stuff. Yeah, so that's you're not just bouncing back right now. No, after you're that. not. No, you're not. And so it's been it's been crazy. Uh, 
And I've had insanely vivid dreams for the last couple months. But two days ago, I had a dream that Father David became the pastor of my church and Father Houston, who was just named the parochial vicar back at Father David's old church, became the parochial vicar at our church. And it felt so real and so lifelike. Um, And then the next day, I had a dream that I was drinking a beer with Pope Emeritus Benedict in Bavaria. And I was like, I love your books, man. I I just love your books, man. (laughs) Can you tell my friend Luke about your walks with um, Balthasar? He really wants to know about that. (laughs) When you would do the retreat things up at the mountains. Just tell him about your walks. (laughs) And then the last dream I had was with um, the Megan Rapinoe. Rapino, what? How do you say your name? Rapino of the U.S. Women's National yeah. Team. Yeah, my dream uh, this morning. My dream this morning was, I was in an airport uh, lounge, and she was sitting right next to me, and I was like, "Tough break, tough break." So, how's the Lord in your life? And I was evangelizing her. <laughs> tough break, <laughs> shameful, shameful bronze. <laughs> So, I mean, it's just been, it's been weird. You know, you're, me and Shane are getting like three, four hours of sleep. You know, you lay there, you stare at the ceiling. What I do is I just wait until my eyes are about to fall out of my head at two o'clock in the morning. And then I just go upstairs and lay down and I fall asleep till five or six. Shannon goes to bed at a normal time and she wakes up six times during the night and, you know, stares at the wall like we all do and. Father David Huss has been remarkable. He's given us, given Shannon communion and, you know, all this stuff and anointing beforehand. And he told us that Bernard of Clairvaux, whenever he was with women who were, um, might lose the baby, he would pray f- that God would view the amniotic fluid as, as baptismal water. And he would try and do an in the womb baptism. He's like, it's not church teaching, but it's something beautiful that I think flows from it. So, you know, sure enough, that's what I did. And commend the soul. All you can do. All you can do. Be utterly powerless as you watch modern technology save your wife's life. But at what cost? And you got to bear that cost for the rest of your life. (sighs) Then I just said, someone asked me, how do you feel? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to tell people fine. I'm going to tell them I feel shitty because I feel shitty. Like, I don't feel good. Quit. Like, I mean, I'm okay with people ask. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, it's the one question I don't want you to ask because I don't want to lie, but I kind of want to lie just so I don't have to talk about it. So, um, my, uh, some, uh, Audrey, friend of ours, Rowdy Reigns, gave my wife a relic of St. Gerard. I know nothing about him. I just know he has something to do with pregnancies and babies and stuff. And it's a thing on a ribbon. So what women had done was they will put the relic in their hair and they'll tie it and they'll put their hair up in a bun and tie it. Or I don't know what women call it. Ponytail like things. And they'll tie it with the ribbon and then they'll put the hairnet over it. So the because you're not allowed to have like bracelets or necklaces on when you're in surgery. Right. And uh, but but they don't care what's in your hairnet. <laughs> and so Shannon had this. Beautiful thing of St. Gerard, and the guy walked in, our orderly, who was in the pre-op, and he was such a nice guy. He was so funny, and he's, like, laughing and joking with us, and he, he left, and Shannon goes, did you see his name tag? And I said, what? No, and she, I was like, Jerry? She goes, his name's Gerard, and I was like, oh, that's cool. 
that's cool. It's like a little thing, you know, something like that that's like, oh, really? Do you think that was really God? Prove it. I'm like, no, but it's one of those little things that you're like, all right, the only relic is a guy I've never heard of before. (laughs) And my wife has this relic with her. And here is Mm -hmm. the last guy that we will see before surgery. And he's taking care of my wife. He's the one to wheel her down Mm -hmm. to the operating room. And his name is the same name as the saint relic. And so I'm just like, all right, God, I know this is going to be okay. I'm going to go get Whataburger and drink a milkshake and cry in my minivan while staring at a river. Cry me a river. (laughs) No, no, you. I'm a whore. No, that's that's it. That's it. There are. you know what's so funny? Um, no, Luke. What's funny? Tell me something no, no, funny no, after sorry, this. No, story. I'm not. I, <laughs> uh, oh my gosh! Uh, well, could you imagine if you're a first time I'm listener and like this is the episode and you pour your heart on? I'm like, you know what's funny? I'll um, add a, a better help ad right here. <laughs> Don Rickles. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so I have this playlist and it's for stuff that doesn't matter and. There's a song from uh, the the main the main um, the theme song from the Karate Kid. You know the "You're the Best Around." Love it. Gonna never get you down. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's very awesome, especially for people our age. And like, you can run through walls after hearing that song. <laughs> There's a dumb line because the guy's doing this like they have the stupidest little like riff playing in the background, and he's like he's like, and you're trying to be tough because a man's got to be tough, and a man's got to learn to take it or, or, or something like that. <laughs> And I was thinking about that line about you can tell that when your life is crap because you're impacted by things like that. And I was thinking about like having to learn to take it and what that actually means. And I thought about, you know, the man in the arena, that poem, yeah. the poem it's if not, by Richard uh, Kipling. Yeah, whatever. it's not the oh, oh, yeah. I was thinking of um it's not the critic who counts, but the man in the arena. It's man in the yeah. arena, yeah. Love that. Uh, I think of Teddy Roosevelt yeah, or something like yeah, that. And um I want to say there's a poem with that too, but yeah, I don't know. Is it Invictus? Um, I do love that do poem too. though, and I know it's very like anti everything that we believe, but but um, it sums it up so nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but like, man, self-made man, sign me up. Um, that I, and I I wanted to talk about that tonight because I knew we might talk about this stuff, and just and I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to bring up what I wanted to, but I'm going to frame this a different way uh, the it is so easy to talk about endurance and it is quite another thing to experience it and you you hit a point in adulthood where like you just get the crap kicked out of you and you're like there's there's no coming back from this you know like and that's Part of what I think makes um, suffering so powerful is like it's the acknowledgement of yes, there is none, and it's giving over to it and accepting the suffering that you cannot change. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to change it, but the stuff that you obviously cannot change. And going, God, I know you're going to work through this somehow, but there is nothing clean or pleasant, or I would even dare say joyful about it. Like there's n- there is there is the Amosufion. Um, song that I can't listen to too much of this album because it tears me. The only time I've listened to the whole way through was when Katie Hoffman died. Um, I fi- I finally said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I went on my back porch and I bought a pack of cigarettes and I listened to this album about the death of his mom. 
and I and there's a song there where he says uh called There's No Shade in the Shadow of the Cross. And I believe it's the same song where at some point in time he goes, Fuck me, I'm I'm falling apart. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I and I love that he call I love I love, 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 love that it's in a song called There's No Shade in in the Shadow of the Cross because that is what it feels like. There's a few things from our miscarriages that really stick stick with me, and I uh, and I'm gonna just go through them very very unbriefly, and I, I'm only bringing this up to try to just empathize with you and just make you I don't know I don't know what to say, um, but one is when we found out the horrible feeling of just like the the nurse not saying anything, yeah. you know, and I was like. It just that it starts to sink in, like what you're on top of the world, and then it's just like, wait, what? And then the other one was on the right, uh, the right back. There was just this sort of ugliness to the right back. Yeah. And we came home and we just ended up taking naps, and we didn't call my mom, and my mom just kind of assumed that the worst had happened, and having to confirm that, and just like our marriage was never really quite the same after that. And I don't, and there were sometimes I wonder, like, I don't know if you've ever really. If not got over, but like it's this. I feel like that car ride home never really ended, and it's always been this kind of thing that we have just never. Not that we haven't gotten over it, but it, it that sick feeling has never really gone away. I guess is what I'm really saying. That even at, even though there's been such incredible joys with Everly and other things and. Amazing things that have happened. You just, there's no, there's, um, you cannot, that's the cross, that's the shadow that will, I just will not be able to escape in this lifetime. Perhaps. I don't know. I don't want to say, I mean, who knows? And then the other part is that, like, I don't enjoy going to the OBGYM to, you yeah. know, I hated every minute that we were there to getting everybody's heartbeat. I'm, every I minute I was expecting something. Yeah, we talked about that. That's yeah. so rough. I hated it. I hate it. I hate the thought of it. I never want to step in. I never want to step foot. And I love our OBGYM. I think he's a wonderful man, a wonderful doctor with an amazing staff. And I never want to step inside that building again as long as I live. If Aaron ever got pregnant again, I'd be very okay with that. I'd want to have, I'll just be honest. I want to have more kids. I hope we do. But I truly never want to go through that again. And I am very much okay never stepping foot in that building again. Because it's a, I hated. I mean, so many, I was, I would just be a dick to Aaron. I'd be very moody. I'd be because I was just terrified that we were going to go through it again. And it's a horrible feeling. And there's no. It's just I don't know what else to do but just, but acknowledge it, give it to God, and to try and keep going. And I'm not saying act like it's not there. I, I, I don't like when you talk about the pain and just that kind of that. I don't know what to, I wish I could tell you something yeah. that could take all of this away. I really, really wish. Well, I let could, me, but let then, me tell you what I've observed in myself. Um, it is very difficult to pray uh, alone. It has become very easy for me to pray with other people. Hmm. Um. I've realized with my daughter. So the other thing about this is we never told our kids about the second miscarriage because my daughter, one of my daughters, I will keep her nameless, has an anxiety issue. 
And when she found out about Hope, she she was devastated for weeks. Mm. And it would come and go randomly. So that was very difficult to deal with. So we hid the second one, but you can't hide the third one. Mommy can't walk, right? Mommy can't be hugged. Mommy has to yeah. lay down. Yeah. So yeah. we tell them, and we tell them about all the miscarriages and everything. And every day I check in with her. I'm like, no, how are you doing? It's okay if you're not doing okay. And she's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little sad, but I'm okay. You know, constantly checking in. And uh, I've observed, so I said to her, I said, you know, it's very easy. Like, because it's summertime and the summer's almost over. Next week, you know, school starts for our kiddos. And so I just said, you know, it's very easy to turn to video games when you're feeling sad because you don't have to deal with it. I said, but I just and I, know. I said, but I just want you to know that the only way to really deal with it well is with each other. Like community mm-hmm. really matters. And then my uh, other daughter, for some other random reason, we got exposed to um, someone who died of alcoholism. So we were talking about this person, and you know, why does someone do that if it's hurting them? And I was like, because there's something else hurting him even more. And though it doesn't help, it takes away the pain for just a minute. And that's why we have to go to community and not go to things in order to distract us from the pain. Because I have mm-hmm. known in, in because I've known Father David and his love for my family, you know, I mean, he brought Holy Communion over to my wife because she couldn't go to Mass on Sunday. So he came over on Monday and gave her Holy Communion. Um, You know, it's stuff like that that you realize, like, you know, my friend Michelle puts out um, the meal train. And, I mean, like, literally within, like, five hours, two weeks are full. You know, and people are like, listen, here's some, here's just money, a a gift card on DoorDash. Just after the two weeks are over, just go get something. You know, like, they, they love us. They're taking care of us. We, I'm not alone. You know, and I feel horrific for people like I think the worst thing on the face of this earth is to suffer alone. Right. That's like the ultimate tragedy. Like if you don't have someone and I'm not saying a spouse, I'm, I'm saying community, friends, family, um, coworkers who care about you at a deeper level than just, you know, coworkers like. And I see because Michelle is married to Brian. We're really good friends. He's a coworker. Um, Michelle's daughter, Therese, has been journeying with Cecilia and Kateri. You know, so, like, they, they're not alone. And I know they're not. And the people that I have spent the last eight years building relationships with, they are the ones who are investing in us now when I don't want to walk out of my house when I don't want to see another person, when I don't want to look at their little pitying eyes, I know that they're going to just come in and just do something great and leave. And they've done so much, you know, they've done so much for us that it took years. And so if you're out there and you're hearing me right now and you don't have any type of, of, of community, I'm going to tell you, like, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how you can get it, but it's more important than almost anything else. And right now, you know, like we all say this, like where would you be without your mom? Where would you be 
without your sisters. You know, there's such incredible people in your life that would do anything for you. I mean, I'm pretty sure Emily has killed at least one ex-girlfriend for you. (laughs) She brings the fire. But, like, I mean, I just think of, like, your relationship with your sisters and your mom and Al and with Aunt Dee. Like, those people deeply love you, you know? And they, it's just, it's awesome to know that we don't have to suffer alone. So when I can find an ounce of intellectual creativity to spare for Jesus... You know, and, and we, yes, we can also comment on how it's my obsession with the atonement theology and all that stuff. But I see a man who suffered alone. And it's like, wow, you really went to hell, didn't you? Like, there, there yeah. is no burden that you did not bear. You know, you, it, it's incredible. I mean, it's incredible. And I don't understand how people can belong to any other religion that doesn't have the death of god at the center because it's like sometimes it's all we human beings know and see and to feel like god is somewhere up above and not you know to use the great line of project 86 he's got the scars to prove he's down like such a stupid line but i draw comfort where i draw comfort um, <laughs> I just don't get, I don't, I don't get it. And one of our listeners, really, really wonderful person said, Hey, just thought you might want to grab, um, Cardinal Ratzinger's introduction to Christianity and read through one of the later parts. Cause he goes through his beautiful, he shoots down penal substitutionary atonement and then goes through his thing, um, his, his understanding of it. And I was like, good, that's going to be my reading this week. That's my spiritual reading. I got nothing else, man. I got no other spiritual readings that I feel like I'm not, it's not, it, it might be grief, but that I don't feel like it's grief. You know what I mean? I feel like it's, yeah, it's yeah. just trauma or yeah. tragedy or something. I don't even know how to describe it. Maybe that's what grief is. And I just, I'm just too much of an idiot to see it, but. No, uh, no, it, 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 I mean, it's, I love what you said about being able to enter into that with others. Cause I think the time when we found the most healing through these things has been when we've been able to talk with other people about it. And that's what, like, what's the number one thing you hear about people say the hardest part about a miscarriage is this, this tragedy that you sometimes have to suffer alone. You know, and the less we can, I think you're 100% right. Like, there is no shadow in the shade of the cross, but there are people who can help you carry it. You know, and I, I like, that's... Uh, please quote me on that when you use that in your future talks, everyone. But, um, but like really though, and that kind of doesn't make sense when you stop thinking about it. But, but like that idea of like that's the only thing you can do is just try to be there with like um, Mary and with John and Martha and everyone who hasn't like had the who's got the balls to stay there. And, um, like, how often do we not be with, like, why Why do we not support most people? It's not due to a lack of caring. It's due to a fear of, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. And when you go through horrific stuff, it's like, I don't care what you say. I just want you to be here. Yeah. You know, I don't care at all about what you say. I'm just so glad that you stopped by or that you made a meal or that you said, you know, you just, you know, came by and expected nothing of me and just to be there like that's that's what really really matters yeah. like you know um i'll never forget 
finding out that my one friend almost drove like eight hours through the night to come to my dad's funeral. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the fact that like she wasn't able to make it, the fact that she told me that she was so close to doing it. And then like it was some work thing. I don't remember why at the very last minute she didn't go, but it was, I was like, I have really good friends. You know, like I have really good friends, I have people in my life who really, really care about me. And I, and, and I, just even the intention of like doing that, but then like you know, life getting in the way or something, like goes it 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 helps. And so I um, there's you know again some things in this life we're never gonna find healing for until the next life. God's God's always gonna work, and I don't. I'm not trying to say that you're not gonna find healing. I'm just saying that some. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, I mean I'm trying to be hey, realistic. I, I watch Sister Miriam on the Matt Frad show. <laughs> I listened to the podcast. Uh, it was so <clears throat> beautiful to hear her talk. It was all on inner healing and her life story and stuff, and it was so great. But there, there is what, – what's that stupid – I love the line. I hate that it, my whole life is dictated by pop culture lines. But um, in Lord of the Rings, you know, um, you know, is – you know, what is it? Sam says to Frodo um, that, you know, all the great evils and stuff are going to become untrue. You know, you remember that line? Ooh, I don't think so. Yeah, it's 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 in the third movie and they're talking about, you know, the great story that they're caught up in. And uh, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And that's one of the favorite lines of Reverend Timothy Keller. And uh, I love I love that line because he always connects it with uh, another quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, uh, some mortals say of, of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And I love that line that it's not just is everything sad going to become untrue. It's not like is everything sad going to be eclipsed by a greater thing. But like that notion of like the sadness itself is going to become untrue when we see mm-hmm. what Christ has ready for us. And I, I just love. I just love that idea that time will work backwards. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Hmm. That's what I got. Oh, God bless you guys. I My heart's been breaking for you guys. I wish I... So, you know, you sit here and you're yeah. like, okay, where do we go from here? What's next? And I think the funniest thing is there's no... There's no... It is hard to move into healing and know that that's what you're doing rather than just moving on with your life without healing. Mm-hmm. Because like you mm-hmm. were talking about with the first miscarriage, like if, if moving on and staying busy and being distracted and all the things that we tell ourselves, one of the things that's interesting about it is how years later you sit down with people and you begin praying with them and they've been, you know, straight far from God or whatever it might be. And you find that, Oh, Nope, here's the wound. Here's the thing that we needed to heal. And it just, it, it never healed. It just calloused over so that we could face the world, 
you know, an, another day until things got less crazy and chaotic that we can actually address these wounds. So um, I will never hate God for what happened. But I just, and I know this side, I won't understand it. But man, I just, it just, I, I just have to sit in the hurt and yeah, rely on other people, I guess. It's kind of a weird thing that I've started to experience more in my 30s where I don't really ask why this has happened. It's more just like, well, somehow this can't destroy everything in my heart. Figure out, figure out how to do that. You know, it's that great line from Ratzinger at the beginning of, at the beginning of uh, introduction of Christianity, where his image of faith is of uh, of a poem written by a, or a play written by a Jesuit, where this guy was. I want to say the dude was an unbeliever, or he was became skeptical and. His boat is sinking in the middle of a raging storm in the middle of the night in the middle of the Atlantic, and he's going to die. And the cords of the sails have lashed him to the mast, which is, of course, the shape of a giant cross, right? And he's pinned to the mast, and the whole thing is sinking. And uh, the, the idea that Ratzinger draws out is that oftentimes faith feels like you're alone at night holding onto a piece of driftwood in the middle of a storm and it's pitch black and the waves are just crashing up and down and it's crazy. He said, but what you realize in Christianity is that it's not mere driftwood, but it's the cross and the bottom of that cross goes all the way to the foundation of the world. Like it's not, it, you know, everything is terrifying. So lash yourself to the cross kind of thing which is what the Jesuit priest is trying to get at in the, in the play. And I just find that image to be like, yeah, no, that's life right now. There's this raging frickin' tempest. It's pitch black. I'm bobbing up and down violently. I can't get my bearings. I'm choking on the salt water. And I am lashed to the cross. I'm pinned. I'm bound. But there's no other place to be that does not also meet with reality. And that's actually the most interesting part of that because I remember that line from college. I didn't have to read that book, or I did, then I just never read it. But I remember you reading it because I didn't take the I didn't take the intro to Catholicism class, or whatever, till my second year. Um, and you guys were all doing it your first year. I remember you telling us that line, but I don't remember the part about how it goes down to the foundation of the earth. And then you saying that that's what tethers us to reality. That's what ties that whole thing together. Huh, I need to think about that for a while. Because if not, like, the cross becomes just some abstract idea. Yeah. And it's just another, like, live, laugh, love, hashtag blessed kind of thing, yeah. right? You know, it's it's just it's just a sentiment. It's not rooted in a truth. Well, Luke, here's the hoping. Oh. I love you, buddy. I really do. I, know I you love do. you guys. Oh. <sighs> Is everything sad going to come untrue? Sure hope so. All right, bud. I'll talk to you later. Have a good night, dude. I love you. All right. I love you too. Bye. Bye.